If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Truth in My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth in My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the word of God against the challenges of men. Hear the word of the Lord, James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, those of you who drive here probably remember your first ever driving lesson, or at least your first in-car session. I know I do. It was back on uh, February 1st, 1980, so I'm uh, dating myself there quite a bit. It was a Friday afternoon, a uh, spring day, snow was melting, and I showed up in the school parking lot. Our instructor's name, I recall, Carmelo Sansaloni, at a little 1979 Plymouth Volare. And we sat in the uh, car, I had two other students with me, a guy called Tim, a girl called Karen, and Tim drives first, Karen drives second, and then it's my turn behind the wheel. And I sit behind the wheel, hold it, and the instructor says, okay, turn on the car. I turn it on, he says, okay, drive. Huh? <laughs> Don't I need instructions? You're like, just drive? Yeah, yeah, just push down the pedal and drive. So very you know, gingerly, I pushed down the pedal, the car started moving. And it was a bit scary just for a moment there, because here I was suddenly aware that now I am in control of this powerful vehicle. Okay, it's just a Volari, but still, you know, it seemed powerful at the time. And we were either going to get from point A to point B, or we were going to uh, pile up somewhere. It was up to me. I was in control. But that was not an ultimate control, because there was the little instructor sitting beside me, hand nervously on the emergency brake and the, just, just ready in case I start heading for the wall and he's saying stop. I say, huh? And he's going to push down on the brake and stop the car. Or he's going to reach over and take the steering. So I was in control but not ultimate control and it was kind of comforting because he knew how to drive better than I did. Later, of course, you don't need an instructor beside you. You get licensed, at least some of us do. And then you are in ultimate control of that vehicle. And you are as reckless as you want to be, right? And you're going to get from point A to point B, or you're going to destroy yourself, and it's up to you. Now, to live the proper Christian life, the life that is pleasing to God, you live it like the driving student. You make your way through life, your hands are on the wheel, as it were, you're making decision after decision, and through it all, God is with you, right there beside you, 
And you know he can step in anytime he wants to overrule what you're doing because he is sovereign. He is the boss. And as for the driving student, that should be a comforting thought. But too often, Christians live their lives not like the driving student, but like the licensed driver. As if we are in complete control and there is no instructor present, no one to tell us where to go or what to do. And this is a failure to recognize and acknowledge the sovereignty of God over our lives. Oh, sure, we recognize it in theory. If somebody asks us, we'll say, oh, yeah, God is in control. But we live our lives as if we don't really own that truth. We lay our plans and we make our decisions without proper attention to the will and word of God. This is certainly not a new problem. It's been with us from the earliest days. It was right there in the Garden of Eden. That's where sin originated. God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of this particular tree. But you know, it seemed good to Eve and then to Adam to eat of that fruit. Certainly not a new problem in James' day. We see it here in the epistle of James. This James, as you know, is, is not James the Apostle. It's James, the brother of Jesus. Originally a mocker. You read in John chapter 7 how he and Jesus' other, bro other brothers were making fun of him. But obviously eventually became a convert. Probably when Jesus came back from the dead, that would be pretty convincing. And this James became one of the key leaders of the, the first church in Jerusalem. And those of you who were down at the Royal Ontario Museum a couple of months back could have seen his burial ossuary there. That's the James we're talking about here. Now, in chapter 3 and verse 1 of this book, James writes, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And teaching... Taking on leadership is a big responsibility. And James took his responsibility seriously. So when he sees this problem arising, this failure to recognize God's sovereignty, he addresses it. And what he wrote is as applicable to us today as it was to them then. So let us see what James says, bearing in mind that James writes it, but this is the Word of God himself. First, who is he addressing? He's addressing what we could call Christian businessmen, merchants, entrepreneurs, capitalists. Take your pick of word. But the teaching is not restricted just to them. What is the problem with what they're doing? Verse 13 and 14, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. The problem is not that they're engaged in business. It's not that they're seeking to make a profit. There's some people who would say that that's bad. Profit is always wrong. That's not what James is complaining about. There's nothing unbiblical about that. The problem is that they have not taken into account the will and sovereignty of God. They have made plans for the future. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But they seem to have forgotten God. They have left Him out of their planning. 
Oops. Here they are planning for a year from now and failing to recognize that they don't know what will happen tomorrow. Proverbs 27, verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Plans can be derailed in unexpected ways. They may not make it to such and such a city. Or if they make it, they may not be able to spend a year there. Or they may make it, spend a year there, and not be able to buy. They may buy, not be able to sell. They may sell, not make a profit. All kinds of things could pop up and derail these so optimistically made plans. If it is not the will of God, it will not come to pass. That is what they must realize. They must recognize that their very lives are in the hands of God. In graphic terms, James describes the frailty, the impermanence of human life. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. That's how frail human life can be. See, there's nothing like the realization of our own mortality to remind us forcefully that we are not ultimately in control. We are not sovereign. God is. King David, when he caught himself acting improperly in God's eyes, prayed in Psalm 39, verses 4 to 5, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. Vapor. Same word that James used. Now we are vapor. God is sovereign. Build at the Shuhite, speaking in Job chapter 25, gives us two very good pictures of God's sovereignty. In verse 3, speaking to Job, he says, Is there any number to God's armies? Upon whom does his light not rise? Is there any number to God's armies? Beldad's question. You can't help but miss that there's been a lot of talk about armies of late. They've got the United States uh, gearing up for war. The U.S., the uh, last superpower, the only superpower of the world. If you take the next 20 countries, next 20 biggest defense budgets and add them together, it doesn't come to that. You know, they are so far ahead of everybody else in the world. Remember when they swatted Iraq in 1991? They lost like 100 people and half of them were by friendly fire. When they're going into Afghanistan, you know, we're told, oh, they're going to get bogged down. It's going to become a morass. You know, they're going to be there for years. It was over before you knew it. Taliban was out. Americans in control. They weren't even breathing hard. It's the most powerful army in the history of the world. You might have noted the recruiting jingle for the USAF. Nothing can stop the U.S. Air Force, right? You've heard that? Really? You think God can stop it? Like how big would your army have to be to outnumber God? When you put it that way, they suddenly don't seem so big anymore, do they? The very question is ridiculous. And that's what Bildad is pointing out. 
We get so full of how big and tough and strong we are and how in control we are. There's nothing beside God. And build that second statement. Upon whom does his light not rise? You remember from science class that all life depends on the sun. No sun, no life. Very simple. You can get the most powerful man on earth standing around, strutting around like cock of the walk and saying, I am master of all I survey. He is totally dependent. No sun, no life. Totally dependent. The sun goes out, he's dead meat. Ditto for the air. Ditto for the water. You know, just think of the folly of those people who don't want God in their lives. You say, ah, why should I submit to God? Why should I worship Him? It's not fair. Leave me alone, God. Why should I worship you? Go your way, God, and I'll go mine. Right? I don't need you. We know people like that. I could just see God answering, you know, if He's in a humorous mood, okay, I'll go. But I'm taking my son with me. You know, how long will Mr. I don't need God last without the Son? You know, once again, we have to recognize we are totally dependent. We are not in control. In light of all this, and yes, that's a pun, sunlight, yes. In light of all this, the attitude that we are in full control of our lives, that we can overlook God in our plans, this boasting and arrogance, as James puts it, is seen to be vain and foolish in the extreme. What then is the correct attitude? Look at James 15, chapter 4, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Again, the problem is not in the planning. The problem is in leaving God out. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. That's the proper attitude. The one that humbly acknowledges the sovereignty of God. If the Lord wills, we shall live. Never mind the plans. Even to live is in the hands of God. The Greek word here is an aorist subjunctive, which means it's expressing a desire, a hope. It's not even a demand. Even our continued existence depends upon the favor of God. We see this attitude in the Apostle Paul. Acts 18, verse 21, he says, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. Romans 1.10, Making request if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Romans 15.32, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. 1 Corinthians 4.19 But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. This is the attitude of Jesus himself. John 5.30 I do not seek my own will but the will of the Father who sent me and John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And he demonstrates this attitude when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's coming. He knows he's going to be arrested and die a cruel death. Have the Father turn his back on him while he pays the price of the sins of all mankind. 
And he prays in Matthew 26, 39, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The perfect acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God and God's right to decide. And that's the attitude we should have. He taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not our will but his. That is the truly godly attitude. The one that recognizes God's right to be boss in our lives. And perhaps not surprisingly, it is a difficult attitude to have. It rankles our pride to admit that we are dependent and not in control. We think that we shall be happier if we get to call the shots. And we make all sorts of attempts to avoid the truth that we are not in control. New Age movement, alter our state of consciousness, get those vibrating little crystals or, or what have you. In Buddhism, where the whole essence is salvation is found within yourself. Nothing else is needed. The Word of Faith movement which says, and I quote, Never, ever, ever go to the Lord and say, If it be thy will. Don't allow such faith-destroying words to be spoken from your mouth. When you pray, if it be your will, Lord, faith will be destroyed. Be on guard against words like this, which will rob you of your faith and drag you down in despair. That's Benny Hinn telling you to do the exact opposite of Jesus. And even our evangelical churches have a disturbing tendency to ignore or explain away those biblical commands we don't like. Now, all of these are ultimately futile. God is in control, and He refuses to be dethroned. But this is not bad news. It is good news. Think about it. You know, our wisdom is limited. The best of us, our wisdom is so little. And we certainly cannot foresee the future. But God has no limit to His wisdom. And He sees all, knows all from the beginning to the end. So He knows which way will turn out best for us. We don't. We may think that we really need to go this route. We may think that this is what will work best for us. We may be sure that, oh, what we need is more money. If I had a little more money, I'll be happier. So I'm going to put my time and effort into getting the new job or the new training, make more money. Or maybe we think, oh, I need a guy, you know, or need a girl. Hopefully, if you're a guy, you're thinking girl, girl, thinking guy. But, you know, that's what I need. I need a relationship. That's the best way for me. And these may be legitimate desires. We may be all very sincere in thinking that way. But sometimes we can be very sincere and still be wrong. But God is never wrong. So if He is taking us down a different route from the one we want to go on, and we're thinking, well, I, I don't get it, God. You know, I think this is the way I should be going. But you're taking me another way. Um, you're wrong here, God. I'm pretty sure you're wrong here. You know, remember the two basic rules of life. We've gone over this before. Rule number one, God is always right. And rule number two, when God is wrong, go back to rule number one. But, you know, maybe God knows everything, and maybe God is all-wise, but maybe he, he doesn't care enough about us. You know, maybe, well, we love ourselves more than God loves us, right? So maybe He knows the best thing for us, but He won't take us the best route because He doesn't care enough. 
Well, that's a non-starter. You know, God loves us so much we can barely begin to understand it with a perfect love. The best of our love is tainted by self-interest, by selfishness, by sin. God's love is such that He even gave up His own Son for us. So how can we sit there and think that God doesn't love us enough? That's why He's not giving us what we want. Be assured that He wants what is best for us and He is able to deliver it. How foolish of us to think that we can do a better job of running our lives than God can. Now, sorry, He's better qualified for the job. We do not need to strive with God. We can rest in peace and joy in the sovereignty of God. He does not wield His sovereignty to oppress us. He does not sit in heaven arbitrarily saying, hmm, I don't like this face, he's going to hell, that kind of thing. No. He wields... Well, there are a lot of people who believe that. That God's sovereignty is such that just, just doesn't care about us. It's just there so he can do this and that and the other thing and we're just puppets. No. He wields his sovereignty for our blessing, not for our cursing. Finally, James concludes with a warning in verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And here we move from the passive acceptance of God's sovereignty to an active submission to God's sovereignty. To him who knows to do good and does not do it. We're back to the fact that God is sovereign and he has given us commandments in His Word. He has shown us how we should live and what we should do in our personal lives, in our family lives, in our church lives. And we know what, what's there. Now, he's written it. He knows what's there. And He knows that we know what's there. And we get to the point, though, that there are things in there we may not like. And then we think, well, okay, God's not really sovereign because we can throw these parts out. And we don't have to follow them. We can explain them away. But we know what it says. We can't really fool ourselves. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So let's let God be God. Let us live in obedience to him, appreciating his sovereignty. As we drive through life, let God be our driving instructor. If you have missed any episodes and would like to listen to them, they will all be available on our YouTube channel and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can find the links to these on our website, truthinmydays.com, or you can look for Truth In My Days on YouTube as one word. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is 
truthinmydays.com. Thank you.